0: morning. Today's scripture passage will be in Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 verses 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well-known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stakes. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you.
1: Can we all stand and applaud Rachel? Uh, aren't you glad I didn't email you this week and say, hey, would you mind reading? Uh, Rachel's over at our house, I think it was last Sunday evening, and I thought, hey, I'll give her a heads up and um, she can work on this all week, so Rachel. Well done. Um, Well, this morning um, we come to a passage of scripture that, let's be honest, for a lot of us, uh, maybe for most of us, in our daily Bible reading, uh, we might just skim over. We look down, we see all these names, weird names we can't pronounce. Um, Some of you skim over this. Um, Okay, some of us skim over this. Others of us or others of you just skip it, Just, just completely. You're like, Oh my goodness, what's going on in First Corinthians? Let's <laughs> let's check that out. That's the next book in the Bible, there. And so that makes sense, right? First eleven chapters Romans, deep rich theology. Chapter twelve through fifteen, all this convict, you just practical application that's just convicting, right? And then chapter sixteen, and you get all these names, and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do with all that? So, Tempted to skim or or skip over. But this morning, we're not going to do that. And the reason we're not going to do that, there's a lot of reasons, but one reason is because of 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17. If you're not familiar with 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17, it says this it says, All scripture, meaning Romans 16, 1 through 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped or complete and equipped for every good work. And so then according to scripture, like this long list of names, these these greetings here, they're not just like filler space in the Bible. Instead, all these names, all these greetings have been breathed out by God. They've been inspired by God. They've been, each of them have been placed in our Bible by God. And the reason, the distinct purpose that they've been placed here by God is to teach us, to correct us, to reprove us, to train us in righteousness so that every single Christian in this room might be complete and equipped for every good work that God has for us. And you're like, really? Like even even this passage and all these greetings and all these names are here to do that? Like when I leave here this morning, I'm supposed to be more equipped and complete for righteousness and for every good work that God has for me because of all these names and all these greetings? And the answer is yes. That's That's the effect that this passage that doesn't seem all that important or significant is to have on our lives this morning. In other words, as we dig into this passage this morning, here's what we're going to find. We're going to see the names of real people who who belong to a real church 2,000 years ago. In other words, as we dig into this passage, we're going to see the names of, of all these people Real people who belong to a real church. And as we see these names of these real people who belong to a real church, it's going to give us like an inside look into the church at Rome. It's going to kind of give us a a sneak peek, kind of a glimpse, a a glance of of what life was like with these real people in this real church 2,000 years ago. In other words, we're going to see how they lived together We're going to see how they thought about one another. We're going to see about how they related to one another. We're going to see how they ministered together and lived on mission together. We're going to see the significant, important role of women in the life of the church then. We're going to see how diverse this church was, but amidst all their diversity, how they were unified together. And so it's in these ways and a whole lot more that we're going to see that this passage is relevant for us here this morning. And how God has placed this passage in the Bible to teach and reprove and correct and train us in righteousness. Or more specifically, here, here's what we're going to see. As we, as we dig into all these names and, and all these greetings, we're going we're to see five different lessons, if you want to put it like that. Five different lessons that Cross Fellowship Church, so that our church can learn from the church at Rome. And so, so the way we're going to do this is we're not going to work our way necessarily verse by verse like we normally do consecutively through this passage. Rachel accomplished that for us um, just a minute ago. But instead what we're going to do is, is I'm gonna, we're going to look at these greetings and, and all these different names and summarize just five different lessons that we can learn from the, uh, the believers here uh, that we're part of the church at Rome, so five different lessons. Here, here's the first one is this, it's that Paul's greetings to the church at Rome reminds us of, so number one, the importance of meaningful personal relationships in the church, the importance of meaningful personal relationships in the church. In other words, here, here's what I mean by that. As we've gone through the first 15 chapters of Romans, and in particular, the first 11 chapters of Romans, It's easy to think that all Paul has been doing in this book is writing a systematic theology book or a theological treatise so that anybody and everybody who who grabbed this letter could learn something about great doctrines like justification and sanctification and the doctrine of election and on and on and on and, and on. The problem is, though, when we get to the end of the letter, chapter 16 here, what we see is that Paul's doing a whole lot more than just writing a theological treatise. Instead, he's writing to specific people. He's writing to specific people that he knows and that he loves. And this is one of the reasons then that he mentions them by name. Do you notice that? Well, of course you notice that. 27 names in these 16 verses. And that doesn't even include two families and three house churches that he mentions. Paul mentions more people by name in this last chapter of Romans that he mentions by name in all the rest of his letters combined. And what's even more shocking than that, he's never even been to Rome. He's never even visited this church, which must mean a couple things. One is he, he must have met along in his missionary journeys, he must have met a number of these individuals potentially, or at the, at the least, he's heard of them from, from others. Either way, key point I want you to see here is that Romans, Paul is not writing this theological treatise, a systematic theology book that just anybody and everybody can read. Instead, Romans 16 teaches us he's writing to specific people that he knows, that he loves, and that he knows their name. But did you notice here, he doesn't just know their names. Instead, if you read through all these greetings for for most of them that he mentions here, he doesn't just know their names, right? He also knows something about them. He, He knows something very specific and important about most of these individuals that he mentions. And so then I'm not gonna go through all of these, but in verse two, he knows that Phoebe has been a patron of many. In verse five, he knows that that Prisca and Aquila has a, has a church meeting in their house. In verse five, he knows that Ipponatus was the first convert to Christ in, in Asia. That's probably a reference to Ephesus. In verse seven, he knows that Adronicus and Junia became, became Christians before he did. In verse 10, he knows that Apollos has been approved in Christ. In verse 12, he knows that Persis has worked hard in the Lord and on and on and on and on. He doesn't just know their names. He knows specific, important significant truths about these individuals about their lives but it's even deeper than that he just another name he doesn't just know important truths and about about who they are and about their lives instead also did you notice how he addresses so many of these individuals in these verses like four different times he addresses individuals and refers to them as his beloved do you notice that? Verse five, he refers to Epinetus as his beloved. Verse eight refers to Ampliatus as his beloved. Verse nine, he refers to Stachys as his beloved. Verse 12, he refers to Persis as his beloved. That it, it's, he's referring to them as his, as his beloved, his people that he loves. It's a term of obviously great endearment, term, a term of great affection. In verse 13, did you see verse 13? He refers to Rufus's mother, Like, again, in Romans 16, if you're picking out a name for a child, don't go to Romans 16. Everybody with me? But he he refers to Rufus's mother. And did you hear what Paul said about Rufus's mother? She's been like a mother to him, is what he says. She's been like a mother to me. And so he refers to these believers as his beloved, this terms of great endearment affection. He refers to Rufus's mother as, as his own Mother, And the point in all this is, Paul didn't just loosely and vaguely know those in the church at Rome. Like he knew their names. And he didn't just know their names, he knew specific, important truths about their lives. And he just didn't know specific, important truths about their lives. He had this great affection for them, they were his beloved. One of them was his, acted like his mother in a good way, you know. And so you read all that, right? Like this should challenge us. Like right from the get-go, this should correct us. Going back to 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, reprove us, encourage us, equip us. Like this should challenge us to really know each other in the life of our church. Like in a meaningful way. Like to know each other's names, not just... Who's that guy with the brown hair that sits over there? What's the name of that girl that, that reads scripture every now and then? But no, they really know each other's names. Don't you like it when somebody knows your name? You're like, they, There's this sense of intimacy and bond and closeness, and it's more of a personal relationship than just calling you, hey, dude, and hey, man. And They know your name, but they don't just know their name. They, they know more about you, like, They know truths about you, significant events about your life and what's going on in your life, and that's what we need to be as a church. We we need to know each other's names. We need to know about what's going on in each other's lives, but it's more than that. It's this affection. We're each other's beloved. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. That's how we're relating to each other in, in that way. So my encouragement would be this. If you're here this morning, you're kind of on the fringe. You're not really deeply connected you're not really plugged in in the lives of people within our church, you just know the name of a few people and things of that nature, then allow Romans 16 here to correct you and reprove you and to equip you and to compel you to be more deeply engaged in the lives of people in a personal, meaningful, significant way in the lives of others within our church. Get involved in the discipleship community. Get involved in equipping class. Come to our prayer gatherings. We're having having one tonight. Invite people to lunch. Invite people over for dinner. Whatever that looks like. Be engaged. Know the lives of people within our church, just like Paul knew in a meaningful way, many of those within the church at Rome. So that's the first lesson. Second lesson. Paul's greetings to the church at Rome reminds us of, number two, the importance of welcoming and commending one another in the church, the importance of welcoming and commending one another in the church. This is the whole point of this passage, right? These are Paul's final greetings to those in the church at Rome. And so 17 different times, that's a lot because 16 verses, 17 different times Paul uses the word greet in this passage. So we're not going to go through all these, but greet Herodian, greet Rufus, greet Urbanus, greet Ampliatus greet the family of Narcissus, greet the, greet the church in Prisca and Aquila's house, and on and on and on and on. It's Paul sending these greetings 17 times to different individuals in the church at Rome. But it's even more than that. It's just not Paul issuing these greetings to individuals in the church at Rome. Look at the very end then of, of the passage in verse 16. He exhorts those then, so it's just not Paul issuing these greetings. He exhorts the church at Rome then to greet one another. And he doesn't just tell them to greet greet one another. Do you notice how he tells them to greet one another? He tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss. And so let me in, I'll let you in on a little secret. We haven't shared this with anybody Anybody. I shared it with my wife, but that's it. But here's the secret. This is the real reason why starting last week we made mask optional in the church. <laughs> that is supposed to be funny. It's because we're disobeying scripture. It's hard to kiss people with mask on. Let's get rid of the mask so you can kiss one another. And be obedient. That's the lesson we can, no, no, that's not, okay? Instead, holy kiss, right? Within that culture, in that time period, that was a common way to welcome and and greet one another, just like it is in many cultures today, Give a little smoochy, smoochy on the cheek and and all that stuff, right? And so I'm not saying don't do this. I'm just saying ask before you do it, okay? (laughs) There are other ways we can apply this in a more cultural way. Sensitive context within Johnson County, America, high five, handshake, fist bump, you know, a little jump and booty bump, whatever, whatever you want to do, okay? And sorry you had to see that. But the, but the picture here, right? Paul's, Paul's greeting, just, I'm serious about this. Paul's greet most of it, Paul's greeting all these 17 individuals, Right? Times in the church at Rome. Then he exhorts them to greet one another. And then did you notice at the very end of verse 16 then? Then he tells them that all the churches of Christ greet them. Which is probably a reference to the churches that Paul had, had planted and visited. What I want you to see, there's a whole lot of greeting going on here. Everybody's greeting somebody. Everybody's greeting somebody here. That's a lesson. Like this is how we as Christians, particularly members of the same church, are to relate to one another and to respond to one another. Like on Sunday mornings, we're not just supposed to walk through the door and go straight to our chair and sit there and then just enjoy the service and then leave the chair and make a beeline out of here without greeting and and welcoming people within the life of our church. Like we should be excited to see one another. Should be excited to greet and to, to welcome one another. We should, and also we shouldn't just huddle with the same group of people. Okay, I know you five, your names, and I'll just see you and go to you every time before the service, after the service. We should get to know others within the life of our church. We should be on the lookout for those who aren't talking to anybody, who nobody's greeting, nobody's welcoming, maybe sitting there alone, standing there alone. We should take the initiative in greeting them and making them for, feel warm and, and welcome. In other words, the, I guess the point I want you to see here is that we're all greeters, right, on Sunday morning. Like we're all part of the greeting team. We're all part of the welcoming team on Sunday morning. But did you notice here, and I kind of already alluded to this, Paul doesn't just greet these different individuals in the church at Rome. He doesn't just say greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, these 17 different times Instead, what does he also do? He greets them, and then he commends them. He affirms them. He encourages them. He commends them. So in other words, he doesn't just say greet Mary, but he says something commendable and and affirming about Mary. She worked really hard for you. He doesn't just greet Urbanus. He also publicly commends and publicly honors He says he's a fellow worker in Christ. He doesn't just say greet Prisca and Aquila. Instead, he publicly then gives thanks for them. And do you see the the type of church that is, the type of church culture that is? Like I see this going on a lot within the life of our church, but we still have a whole lot of room to grow. And so here this, I'm encouraged by how so, and this is one of the things, people that visit our church and, people we follow up with, membership interviews and all that stuff, just how warm and welcoming people are. And so, yes, amen, continue at it, okay? But let's continue to grow more and more just of a, being a welcoming church, but also a, being, being a, a commending church, that we're honoring one another, we're affirming, encouraging one another in these ways. In other words, it's easy to be a nitpicking church. It's easy to complain and criticize each other. For a whole host of reasons, and always find something that's wrong and that needs to be corrected, and so and so is this, and so and so is this. But let's find ways to follow the example of Paul here, of being welcoming of one another, but also being of regularly honoring and commending one another in the church. Third lesson would be this: Paul's greetings to the church at Rome reminds us of the need for unity amidst diversity in the church, the need for unity amidst diversity in the church, like you can't read this, um, verses um, one through 16 here. And one of the things that jumps out more than anything is just how diverse the church at Rome was, right? And you see this in a lot of different ways. If you read through these lists of names, we see people number one from different races. So then you, most of these names here are, are Greek, but some are Jewish. And so you see those who are Jewish are explicitly the ones that are Jewish, because Paul refers to them as his fellow kinsmen. So you see this in verse seven with Adronicus and Junia. You see this in verse 11 with Herodian. And so you have different races within the the church at Rome here. You also secondly have different social classes. Like a number of these names are are common slave names in the first century world, like Impliatus and Hermes and um, a name I can't pronounce, and and Perses and, and a few others I think most scholars would identify those. Those are common slave names in the in the ancient Roman world. Others, though, scholars believe, were closely connected and maybe even family members with um, Caesar, with the with the emperor of Rome. So like Arist- Aristobulus and Narcissus and are two in particular. Others, though, are mentioned here were probably pretty wealthy. So you have Phoebe and, and Prisca and, and Aquila, because they They had a church in their house. And so you have all these different races, you have different social classes. Thirdly, then you have different genders, obviously. 27 names that are mentioned. Of those 27 names, nine of them are women. And last but not least, church at Rome was filled with different marital statuses. So he he mentions a few of these. You have have married couples like Prisca and Aquila in verse 3. And then in verse 7, you have Adronicus and, and Junia, most would be, believe that they were a married couple uh, potentially as well. At the same time, you have listed a number of people who were probably single. So what this teaches us, again, this is a snapshot. What, what, what would it look like to be a part of a church 2,000 years ago, a first century church? What would the church at Rome, what would it be like? It would be very diverse. And that's one of the truths. It demonstrates how diverse the church was. And th- this is our desire as a church as well. Like we, we would love to become a whole lot more diverse as a church. We don't want to just um, reflect one specific demographic as a church where we just look around and we all, we all look the same. Twenties, thirties, white, middle class. Like that's, that's not who we want to be as a a church. Instead, we, we wanna become more and more diverse as a church when it comes to race, when it comes to social class, when it comes to age, when it comes to marital status, all of those things. Like we wanna be welcoming. We wanna be, we be inviting. We wanna be inclusive of all races, of all social classes, of all ages, of all marital statuses. But, but even in saying that, and stay with me on this, even in saying that, did you notice that in the midst of all this diversity, Did you notice what it was that brought all these different races, all these different social classes, all these different marital statuses, all these different genders, and all these different ages together? What was it that brought this diverse group of people together? Was it the Chiefs? No. The Royals. The best record in Major League Baseball, for those of you who haven't been paying attention you need to pay attention. It's exciting, right, Tim Vance? Amen. Okay? It's, that's not what brought these people together. Well, Chiefs and Rolls didn't exist back then, but stay with me. It was Jesus. It wasn't because they all, they all looked the same. It wasn't because they all had the same social class, the same race, that same age, and that wasn't the commonality. That wasn't the unifying factor that united all these diverse people together. Instead, It was Jesus, and we see this all throughout these greetings over and over again. You might want to underline or circle every time you see the word Christ or Lord or Jesus. Verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, the first convert to Christ. Verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, greet those in the Lord. Verse 12, greet the workers in the Lord. Verse 12, Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in in the Lord. In the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, of the Lord. Over and over and over again. Like this is what united and brought this random group of diverse people Different races, social groups, marital statuses, gender, age, all together. It was was Jesus. And this is really important, especially in the, the culture and the climate and the country in which we're living in today. Like everything around us is literally trying to divide us and rip us apart according to all these things. Race, social class, gender, and everything else. And in the midst of this, if we buy into all that, we're gonna be ripped apart. And we're just gonna have those who belong to this race over here, those who belong to this social class over here, those who belong to this gender over here. And that's what's gonna unify us and bring us together. But the reality is in the midst of that temptation to be ultimately defined by, and for our primary identity to be defined by, race, social class, gender, we have to remember what it is that that first and foremost unites us together as a church body. And that's Jesus, that Jesus is our one and only hope for being rescued and saved from the judgment of God's wrath that we deserve for our sins. It's that we believe we've rebelled against God, we've sinned against God, and therefore God in his just wrath deserves to judge us and pour out his wrath upon us. But he sent Jesus into this world to substitute himself on the cross in our place to take the judgment of God that we deserve for our sins. And so what unites us together in is that common belief, that common trust that believes and that trust that Jesus and Jesus alone can rescue us from the judgment of God. We deserve for our sins and cause us to be forgiven of all our sins and given eternal life. Like that's what ultimately unites us together as a church. And what that means then, and please listen to this, what that means then is that we have more in common, you have more in common with the Christians in this room than you do with the person who shares the same race, the same social class, the same age, the same gender, And the same marital status as you. Because what unites you together with with us together, with one another, is Jesus. And he will, will last forever. And therefore our unity together will last forever. Which then leads to the next lesson that Paul's greeting reminds us of and teaches us. And the next lesson is this. Paul's greetings remind us of the important role of women in the church. Like I just mentioned this earlier, but Paul mentions 27 names here in these 16 verses. And nine of these names that he mentions are women. And he doesn't just mention the name of these women. Instead, he tells us something very, very important and significant about each of these women. And so I want us to see what what Paul says about each of these women as we go through uh, in his greeting here. And so start there at verse one. He begins by mentioning a woman by the name of Phoebe. And listen to what he says about Phoebe here. He says this in verse one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of, church, of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may, she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So then most, every scholar out there would agree that, that Phoebe is a letter carrier. I mean, she's the one who's delivering this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. She's delivering it from Corinth where Paul is and uh, Synchria here is a, is a, is a port city of, of Corinth there and is delivering the letter from Corinth to the church at Rome. That's why then, if you look at verse one here, that, that word servant, that word servant can be translated as the word letter courier. In other words, many, many translations will translate that word servant as servant, as the SV does. Some translations will translate, translate that word servant as deacon or deaconesses, believing that, that, that she held the office of, of deacon here. But this word servant can also be translated in the most standard Greek dictionary that's out there, as the number one entry for this word, Greek word diakonos is the word letter courier or the person who delivers a letter. And, and that's how it would have been used in the, in the same exact way in many, um, not in many other ancient letters um, in the first century world. That at the very end of the letter, the author would write a brief commendation of the person that is delivering, that is delivering the letter uh, that the author had written. And so that's probably what we have going on here with Phoebe here. She's, she's a letter carrier. That's how the word servant could probably best be translated. She's a letter carrier who's delivering Paul's letter to the Romans. But that's not all that she is, right? If you look at the, the end of verse two, Paul mentions that she's been a, a patron of many, even, even to Paul. That, that word patron, it, it means a benefactor, which probably refers to the fact that Phoebe was wealthy. And so she helped financially to support Paul, and she helped financially to support many others. In verse 3, then, we see another woman. Look there with me. Paul says, greet Prisca and Aquila. And so then this, this would have been a married couple. We read about this couple a lot of times in the book of Acts and other places in the Bible. Prisca is short for Priscilla. And so Priscilla is the wife, and Aquila is the, is the husband. And so then look what Paul says about them. He calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. I love this. Who risk their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Don't you love that? This wife and this husband, they risk their necks for Paul. We don't know exactly when or where and how and, and all this stuff, but the picture is they, they risk their lives. This woman, this wife, Risking her life for the apostle Paul. He also says that they host or they have a church meeting in their house. In verse six then, Paul mentions another woman. If you look there by the name of Mary, and you see what he says about Mary? She's worked hard for the church at Rome. Verse seven, probably another married couple here. Adronicus, uh, which would have been the husband in Junia, uh, which is probably a, a woman and, and probably the wife here. And there's some debate about how this is translated, but the ESV says that they were well-known to the apostles. Again, there's some debate about how that should be translated. It was probably reference to their, their ministry activity uh, that they were engaged in there. In verse 12, then we, he mentions two ladies by the name, and these are hard to pronounce, by the name of Treph... Yeah, and Trephosa, and, he, and, he, and you see what he calls them? He calls them workers, meaning they're workers in the church, workers in ministry, workers for the gospel. At the end of verse 12, he, he mentions Persis, and again, he says that she worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, again, we have Rufus' mother. He doesn't mention her by name, but Rufus' mother, and he mentions how she's been like a mother to him. Here's the point. Do you see, like if we want to just get a snapshot of what was life like in the first century world in which, in which Paul lived, and what, what was church life like? What church life was like But you see the important and vital role that women played in the life of the church in ministry and in mission. They were working hard. They were doing all sorts of things in the life of the church. They were involved in so many ministries and so many areas of ministry inside and outside of the church. And here's here's our heart, like, as as elders, we, we want the same thing to be true for us as a church as well, like, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, like we as a church, God has blessed us as a church with some of the most gifted, mature, godly women that that, that are around. And that's, that's just a fact. And so ladies, like the last thing we want to do is like hold you back. Instead, we want you to feel like you have the, the green light when it comes to all these ministries and living on mission and, and outreach inside and, and outside of our church. And let me be the first to admit, some of you probably hear that and you're like, we haven't done a very good job communicating that. And I'm the chief center when it comes to that, of, of communicating that and, and helping you to feel that, that there is this freedom, that there is this green light, that there is this not just, hey, you, you could be helpful if you, in this way, but instead, man, we, we really need you in this way. And not only that, we haven't done a good job of always providing opportunities and providing, providing space and for this to happen as well and, and listen, need to do and, and want to do and was convicted personally of this uh, better in the days ahead. And so, like, as elders, I mean, we, believe, we talked about this a couple years ago, kind of biblical manhood, womanhood series, but as elders, we believe the Bible teaches that the role of, of that the office of elder, and we also believe that the office of deacon, and we also believe that the, the preaching, the teaching that happens uh, during the Sunday morning worship gathering, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 12, are reserved specifically for uh, men within the life of the church. But outside of those specific roles, outside those specific responsibilities, we believe that women just aren't allowed <laughs> to participate in the vast majority of ministries in the church. We believe women are essential and play a vital and a very important role in the vast majority of ministries in the church, which then leads to the last and uh, fifth and final lesson we learn from Paul's greetings uh, to the church at Rome here. And the final lesson is this. Paul's greetings remind us Number five, of how we're all supposed to be engaged in ministry and living on mission together in the church. We've seen this throughout, right? We've seen this throughout as Paul is addressing different people that he's, that he's been greeting um, throughout these first 16 verses. Again, he doesn't just greet them by name. Instead, for many of them he mentions the specific ministry that they're involved in and the specific mission and how they're living on mission together um, outside of the church and sharing the gospel. And so you see this, right, all all throughout here. We're not gonna go through all this again, but verse two, right, he refers to Priscan Aquila as what, his fellow workers. Verse six, he says that Mary worked hard for you. Verse seven again, Adronicus and Junia are his what? Fellow prisoners, meaning because of the gospel, because they're seeking to share and advance the gospel, they've been in prison. This married couple's been in prison for the gospel. Verse 9, Urbanus, he refers to him as as my fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12, again, he mentions Triferina and Trifosa as workers in the Lord. Verse 12, again, Persis has worked hard in the Lord. So do you see that common refrain over and over again? How so many of those in the church at Rome, they were fellow workers, fellow prisoners. They worked hard in ministry for the gospel and for the sake of the gospel. And this doesn't even include verse one, where you see Phoebe traveling and delivering this letter and supporting others financially. Verse four, Prisca and Aquila hosting a church in their house and and all of those things. Here's the picture. Ministry in the church, isn't just reserved for a, for a select few. Like it's not just reserved for an elite few. Instead, you've got all these people throughout chapter 16, these greetings, most of them what? We've never even heard of. Nothing said about so many of these people the rest of, in the rest of the Bible. We know, n- they're, in many ways, they're, they're kind of anonymous know nothing about them, a bunch of unsung kind of heroes. Weren't professional pastors, weren't professional missionaries, but they were all involved together in, they were all fellow workers working hard in ministry and and the advancement of the gospel together. This is huge for us, right, when it comes to our understanding what it means, what what a church is and what it means to be involved in a church. Like a church isn't just a social club, where you just just come to make friends and develop some friends with people. Like a church isn't just a service that you attend once a week so you can be filled up and encouraged spiritually. Instead, a church is a place where you come to work. We're fellow workers. What that means is we have a common mission that unites us together together and we're bleeding for it. We're risking our necks for it. We're imprisoned for it. As we're serving and caring and loving and discipling one another and as we're taking that gospel outside of these walls here within Kansas City into the outermost parts of the earth. That's what it means to be a part of a church. It means we work and we're fellow workers together. And so then a good question to ask would be this. If Paul was writing greetings to our church, I greet so-and-so, I greet so-and-so, I greet so-and-so. When he came to your name and he had to fill in the blank about your role, about your involvement within the life of ministry and living on mission, in and outside of this church, how would he fill in that blank? Greet so and so, lazy, never got involved. Greet so and so, just came in, sat down, left. Greet so, what would he say? Greet so and so, they worked hard for the Lord. Greet so and so, they They serve me like a mother. Greet so-and-so. How would he he fill in the blank? So those are five lessons, right, we can learn from the church at Rome. But but this is an important point I want us to see as we conclude and kind of land this plane and and close out our time together. These five lessons we, we just looked at. That they come from somewhere deeper and much more profound than just the church at Rome. In other words, the last thing I want you to do after listening to this message is, is think this is just a monkey see, monkey do sermon. The church at Rome did this, and so you and cross, we as Cross Fellowship Church need to do this. That's not the point of this message. That's not the point of this passage. Instead, do you know where the church at Rome learned to do all these things? Do you know where the church at Rome learned these lessons? They learned these lessons from the first 11 chapters of this book. In other words, they learned these lessons from the gospel. In other words, all five of these lessons are the overflow, just the natural overflow. All five of these lessons are are the radical effect and the implications that the gospel should have on our lives and our relationships with one another as a church and how we, how we live together as a church. And it's really important that you leave here this morning being able to connect each of these lessons, not just with the church at Rome, but how you connect each of these lessons with the gospel. In other words, if you're a Christian here this morning, think about this, God doesn't just vaguely or loosely know you. Hey, there's this guy, there's this girl in Overland Park. I can't really remember their name. They got brown hair. I think I remember something about them. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, God knows your name. Like you're his beloved. He loves you. He knows you. He's got great affections for you. And as you experience that and soak that in and saturate that in, then that should compel you then to, to, to reach out and to get to know personally others and their name and who they are and, and all those things to pursue them as God in Christ has pursued you. Not only that, but if you're a Christian here this morning, then God hasn't ignored you. He hasn't stayed away from you. He had not walked in this room and just taken a seat and then walked out. Instead, he's pursued you He's personally greeted you. He's he's welcomed you in Christ. And not only that, but if you're a Christian here this morning, then your race doesn't make you superior to or inferior to anyone else. Your social class doesn't make you superior to or inferior to anyone else. Your gender, your age, your marital status, or anything else doesn't make you better or less than anyone else. Instead, if you're a Christian here this morning, get this, we're all equal In Christ, we're all on the same same level in the playing ground. In Christ, and we're all united together in Christ. And this is especially true of of women, right? Jesus, I want you. One of the things I want you to get here is Jesus gives great value to women. Men aren't superior to or better than women in God's eyes. Instead, women play an important and vital role in the life of the church. And then finally, if you're a Christian here this morning and you truly believe this gospel and everything we sung about this gospel and everything that's been preached on about this gospel, then you can't treat this church anymore like a social club. You can't treat this church anymore just like a service that you attend once a week. Instead, if the gospel is true, then we all gotta get to work like we're fellow workers sharing in a common mission together and we're here to work hard for the gospel and a ministry together. And so hear this, let's learn from the church at Rome and how they demonstrated and exemplified these different lessons in their life together. But let's ultimately learn where these lessons ultimately came from. They came from the gospel and are the effect that the gospel should have on our lives. And because of that then, let's not leave here focused on the church at Rome, Instead, let's leave here focused on Jesus and the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time together in your word. And just thank you for how you, in your sovereign, good plan, have inspired this word. From the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, all the genealogies in between, all the greetings in between, all the peoples, all the places are all there for reason and distinct purpose, to teach and reprove and correct and to train us to be more like Jesus and to be more equipped to love and care and serve one another and leave here sharing the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that, that you would take that promise and that truth that you've given to us in 2 Timothy 3, and you would make that a reality through this passage that we've looked at and studied together this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things.